Hello, Star Citizen Verse. Welcome to another episode of Casual Citizen, an ongoing series about the upcoming first person MMO, Star Citizen, by Cloud Imperium Games. I'm your host, Alisiana from Alisianasworld.com. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about my experiences on 3.2 PTU. Since it's PTU, all general bug related issues have been ignored. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Begin transmission. General impressions. If you expected noticeable performance improvements, this isn't that patch. By and large, my performance was pretty much the same as 3.1 Live, stutters and all. I like the direction for the newly implemented contacts and party system. It's just easier when people are right next to each other to add them by clicking on the avatar versus typing names in a text box. Another quality of life change has to do with how quantum travel works. Personally, I enjoy navigating with the star map applet that's available in the Mobi Glass, minus the awkward sizing and rotation features. However, I can appreciate the ease of use of allowing players to simply point the ship toward their intended destination. The problem is that most people don't know that direction. Consequently, you see them spinning around in circles trying to find the right marker. That aside, I'm still not convinced on the need to calibrate, spool, and activate quantum travel. The interface, while snazzy, is a bit big. I don't see why it needs to consume so much screen real estate. Hopefully, that will get tweaked over time. The ability to quantum closer to a planetside location is a blessed relief. I didn't particularly mind the original trip times, but we aren't going very far yet. If down to a planet is 10 minutes at this stage, what the heck is travel time going to be when you're going to another planet and then having to reach a planetside location? While I want space to feel large and travel times to be impactful, I think we have to remember that right now we're in a tiny slice of only one star system. Things need to be relatively convenient at this distance and scale. I've thought this before, and it's been a topic of conversation in the community. Star Citizen is going to need a very well-organized and executed tutorial. Watching players return to test mining struggle with the simplest of things was enlightening. Questions in chat and watching casual streamers on Twitch really illustrates the steep learning curve. It's too early for official tutorials now. The game is still changing too much, but when the time comes, I hope it's given the time and polish it deserves. Star Citizen's nearest MMO competitor in complexity is EVE Online, and it's taken CCP many years to get the Aurora tutorial to where it is today, which is very comprehensive and effective in bridging the learning curve. Star Citizen will require a system equally interactive, sophisticated, and comprehensive. The Origin 600i This isn't a review of the ship itself, merely my thoughts as an owner. First off, it's gorgeous and matches the expectations set out by the concept sale. Every corner of the ship's interior drips luxury, 
It has, without question, the best views of any ship to date. And if this is any indication of the 890 jump, that ship is going to be spectacular. Thank you for an external lift that goes directly to the cockpit. And I can't wait until the onboard star map is functional. Whoa, that is going to be impressive having a holographic version of it right there, big as life, aboard your ship. The ship itself floats like butter. I thought I'd accidentally turned off my volume. I've seen a couple of posts complaining about the acceleration, but it wasn't something that stood out to me as being problematic. In fact, I didn't notice it. It is a yacht after all. And while my reaction to the 600i was very positive, there were a couple of things that I can do without. I don't like calling elevators. For me, it's just more fiddly bits. If I stand there, the door should open and bring the elevator to that floor. Sorry, I know that's not realistic, but I don't want that much realism in every part of my gameplay. Equally, I don't like the slow-mo elevator ride. That needs to be tweaked. God forbid there's actually an emergency on the ship and you need to get up and down to a different floor. For me, they were so slow to the point of being a distraction and something that I noticed immediately. Given that this is very early days for the 600i, I'm not concerned about the few things that I don't like right now. There's more than enough time for backers to weigh in and for things to be tweaked. The Misc Prospector The Prospector is designed as the introductory ship for the mining profession. As such, I expected it to fulfill the bare-bones minimum of what was described in the mining design document that we received a while back. And it does. You can mine and carry the collected materials to a location to be sold. For those who enjoy the idea of RP and being on a ship that seems plausible for its role, it has a decent amount of interior space. There's a bed, bathroom, and extra living space where you could place hand-carried cargo crates. Well, once they add animations to support carrying objects when you have to use a ladder. Still color me surprised that they missed that one. The Prospector is a great little ship with a distinct role and one of the better cockpit views. As for mining with it, whew, CIG has done an excellent job for this first iteration. Sure, it needs some tweaking, but they pretty much nailed it. Quick introduction to mining. As was CIG's intent, mining will not support AFK behavior. They want all professions to be engaging and require some level of interaction by the player. They want there to be skill involved. In this case, monitoring and muscle memory are a factor in your outcome. For this first release, we can only mine on the moons. Asteroid mining will come later. Using the Prospector, there are three parts to the mining mechanic once you arrive at your desired location. Step 1. Your first step is to scan the area for mineable objects. You toggle to scan mode using the tab key and click whatever button you use to fire weapon group 1. I use a HOTAS. For mouse and keyboard users, this is likely your left mouse button. You can control the range of the scan, which impacts the level of details that come back from the ping. In this case, however, using the default works just fine. 
To scan, you can land or float slowly over the surface of the moon, pinging the scanner, and stop when you see rocks marked with the blue identification marker over them. Step 2. Your next step is to fracture the rocks down into smaller units that can be extracted. Hover over a tagged rock to view its composition. You want to spend your time mining rocks that contain the highest concentration of sellable materials. Even better are those that contain decent percentages of multiple metals. Once you've decided on which rock you want to mine, press the M key to toggle into the mining mode called Fracture. The art of mining in Star Citizen is a mini-game of heating the rock enough to fracture it into pieces without blowing it up. In order to accomplish this, you must watch two gauges on the left part of the HUD. Your mouse scroll wheel is going to be used to control the laser intensity, and you'll watch the laser throttle indicator on the HUD. Simultaneously, you want to monitor the rock's energy gauge. The energy gauge is monitoring the rock's internal temperature for combustibility. Your mission, Mr. Hunt, if you choose to accept it, is to get the rock's internal temperature into the green zone on the energy bar and hold it there until the fracturing sensor on the right side of the HUD reaches 100%. At 100%, while in the green portion of the energy, will cause a successful fracture. If you overheat the rock, it will explode, causing damage to nearby objects, including your ship. To avoid this scenario, you should be slowly ramping up the throttle on the mining laser, watching to see that impact on the rock's energy, throttling it up and down as appropriate. You'll hear a warning sound if the internal temperature is getting too high. If throttling it down isn't letting it cool off fast enough, turn off the laser or point it away from the rock until it cools down a bit and then start again. Step 3. When you've done it successfully, the rock will split into smaller pieces. Hover over them to identify which ones have a purple outline. These are the ones that are small enough to extract. Pieces that still have the orange outline must be mined again, fractured into even smaller pieces. Toggle from the laser, called fracture mode, to the extraction laser. Again, I use a HOTAS so I don't know the exact key, but it's likely the right mouse or the middle mouse button click to toggle. Hover over the purple pieces and left click to start extracting. The extracted material is being vacuumed into the prospector's storage containers. Long term, we will have six containers, I believe. Four that are attached and two that are empty that can be swapped out on site. However, since those features aren't in the game yet, we're being given the full six canisters worth of storage for now. So let's look at that again. In a nutshell, you scan for mineable rocks, inspect them to find the best compositions, switch to mining mode, Use the fracture laser to break the rock into smaller pieces. While doing so, you must monitor the rock's internal heat temperature. After a successful fracture, toggle to the extraction laser and vacuum up your earnings. Like most things in games, the harder it is, the bigger the return. For now, Selen has the lower level metals, so it's easier to learn the basics of mining there whereas Daymar has the more lucrative metals, making them harder to mine successfully. 
So my suggestion is to head over to Selen, get comfortable with how things work, then try Yella, which is a little bit harder. And when you're feeling really confident, head over to Daymar. Reliable persistence, where art thou? I enjoyed mining. I never planned for it to be a primary profession, but it may be something I do during downtime or if it proves relaxing in some way. I was, however, frustrated by the inconsistency of the persistence features. Losing everything because the game crashes is tiresome, and I wonder why, for an MMO, persistence wasn't there out of the gate. To me, persistence is a fundamental aspect of any MMO. Saved progress. Ugh. It is what it is for now, but geez, it's annoying that any little hiccup can cause you to lose your progress. The two times that the game did recover me at my location, the ship wasn't functional. My frustration with persistence is that it's a critical element for any MMO, and I still find it surprising that the original implementation of the, you know, persistent universe did not have persistence. Persistence not working makes other bugs more odious because they can cause crashes in other situations that can't be rectified without killing the client, which results in losing all of your progress. I really need persistence to start working more reliably, sooner than later. A bit of controversy. Free prospectors for all? There are some conversations being had that CIG is wrong for a game feature such as mining to be locked behind a paywall. Insert me blinking my eyes rapidly here. We've all known since day one that ships equate to access to certain types of content. If you want to race competitively in-game, you'll need a racing ship. If you want to engage in combat, you need a ship that's equipped for combat. And if you want to mine, well, that's a pretty simple answer as well. We've also known because of the funding model, some players would have access to ships at the start that others wouldn't, but that the vast majority of ships would be earnable using in-game currency at release. CIG is working to bring that feature to us well before release. I mean, we're not even in beta. Come on. We're in alpha, and they're working to bring in-game ship buying to players. I don't agree with the idea that everyone should be given access to a prospector when 3.2 goes live. I get people might want to try it, but I don't think it's okay to devalue the contribution made by players who pledged into that profession by buying the appropriate ship. Where does it end? Everyone should have every profession ship when it releases, even if they didn't pledge for it? No one has a greater interest or emotional investment in mining than those who back those ships. As such, they should be the first to experience it in the live PU. I think a free fly that includes a prospector a few weeks later would be great. Having the prospector added into the rotation of ships for subscribers would be awesome too. But no, people who pledge for the ship are the ones who should have that ship first. Like I said, where does it stop? Why mining and not salvage, bounty, exploration, science, transportation, and the list goes on and on. MMO content is built around being behind a paywall, the biggest of which are expansion packs. 
If you don't purchase an expansion pack when it arrives, you don't get the new professions. You can't reach the new max level. You can't access the new zones. You don't get the new crafting recipes and so on. And beyond paying for access, you then have to grind for the items. This is not new in the world of MMOs. I find it curious that some of the same people who are being vocal with complaints that everyone should have access to a prospector are upset about war bond pricing. They don't like the idea of old backer money being devalued by 10 bucks, but they are somehow okay with devaluing someone's $140 purchase? Even curiouser is for streamers to complain when their big giveaways are behind a paywall known as Twitch channel subs. Even if someone has donated them bits, they can't participate in subscriber giveaways. Huh, I find the inconsistency a bit flawed. Related word of caution. CIG formally committed that at release, ships could be purchased using in-game currency. I see many people assuming that this feature, that they're delivering much earlier than release, means all flyable ships will be purchasable in-game when it's implemented. Hello? CIG has not said that will be the case. I suspect it won't contain every flyable ship. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a rotating subset of flyable ships. Given the funding model, rotating availability is what seems logical to me. Equally is that ships purchased with AUEC will be wiped with the new patches, just like everything else we purchase with AUEC. So please don't assume things that have not been committed. That's it for this episode, folks. I hope you've enjoyed it, controversy and all. If you have, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel and registering on alicianasworld.com. Keeping with my new rotation, next month's episode will be Night Bus and include new fan fiction. Until then, be kind and fly safe. This is Aliciana signing out. End transmission. <laughs>